Please, friends, brothers, sisters, join with me in my prayer. Father in the heavens, I beseech you, please, in Yahshua's name. Give me words of life for the brotherhood. Let these notes be the right promptings I need. Pour your spirit upon the congregation, all of those who are hearing today through the media outreach, those who are going to listen later through recorded media. Please, Father, let your words stand and let every false idea fall to the ground. We appeal to you for this in the name and through the blood of Yahshua of Nazareth. Hallelujah. Well, my heart is really lifted through um, so many things prior to getting to here. Several, several sermons ago, I gave a message on preaching from the choir. You ever heard the phrase, preaching to the choir? Oh, I gave a message on preaching from the choir, how the music ministers to us with all of its messages. I'm so very glad uh, to have heard uh, from the, praise for Yah- the Praises for Yahweh team. I urge you to find their webpage and also their, their YouTube page, just a gushing torrent of powerful praise, really great stuff, some very novel and creative stuff, musical ideas I, I would never have thought of. Um, Sister Pam, I don't know where she's at, but I've got to find out where that, you keep finding these great songs, and that particular song had a real clean sound, I've got to find out more about that. Hannah, where'd she go, where did Hannah go? We need you. We need keyboard players here, Hannah. Wherever you went, I don't know. We need keyboard players. Please keep it up. Uh, it gives me a lift to know we're going to have another keyboard player here. Um, who knows, maybe someday you'll accompany me on a song. And then there's these songs we just sang here from the inside out. Let your light shine when all else fails, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all fame. In my heart and my soul, oh, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. Those words kind of resonated with the remarks I was preparing for today. Let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. Everlasting your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all all fame. And the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out. Oh, my soul cries out. Oh, in my heart and my soul, oh, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. I'd like to remember those words as I drill down through these notes today. Brothers and sisters, I'm Brother Michael Bannock from Fulton, Missouri. Every blessing of Yahshua be yours. The title of my remarks is East Side, West Side, Part 2, Genderfied Pride. Okay, here's some background in case you haven't been uh, in on this before. I decided to give a three-part series on sins or weaknesses peculiar to the two genders. And uh, it started out as kind of an easy thing because I've been taking note of this for a long time. And you guys know what that's like. When you have a lot of material, sometimes these sermons kind of write themselves. You don't even have to work at it. I hit a significant speed bump on this one. And I didn't expect that because I thought it was all ready to go. We have a friend in the network called uh, Elder Frank Kennedy back east. I talked with him about this and uh, he says, look, he says, you can, I'm paraphrasing his remarks, but he said, you know, you can, you can segregate out, you know, things that women are good at doing wrong and things that men are bad at doing wrong. 
But he says, you know, a lot of us really do have the same weaknesses. They're just genderfied. They're, they, they, they're sort of manifested in different ways. And we're going to find some really subtle ways in which pride works through both men and women. Because that is item number two. This is a three-part review of vulnerabilities particular to each gender. Last time in part one, I talked about the guy thing, lust. And for the girl thing, I talked about unforgiveness. I'm not saying that unforgiveness is the dominant weakness, the dominant sin among the women. But I made it number one because it is the one thing that will lead to eternal death. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And it turns out, yeah, there's a lot of overlap. Anything I say to the guys, the women should pay attention to. Anything I say to the women, the guys should be paying attention. But uh, I'm just trying to get some focus here because at times our needs are different. Topics covered this time. The most uh, element, I'm going to talk about some basic elements in the good news. I always want to include some evangelical material. I'm going to talk about the guy thing in terms of pride, male pride. Oh, we can be stinkers, I'm telling you. And then there's the girl thing. You women have pride, but you, you do it with an interesting twist. They have an interesting angle on it. And it's something we all struggle with. There's lots of overlap in the concepts. But it's time that we take a look at this in some real practical down-to-earth contexts. What I did not expect is that the thing with the women would become such a spiritual challenge for me. And before my remarks are ended, I'm going to be taking you on a journey that you didn't expect. Even if you don't like today's message, you won't forget it. <laughs> Let's talk about the ancient good news. The good news is actually very ancient. It goes back to the book of Genesis. The Hebrew and New Testament scriptures reveal the oldest religion in the world. I had a conversation with an atheist years ago. I told him, I belong to the most ancient religion in the world. And I said, one of the things that distinguishes us, I'm going to give you two things here, but uh, one of the things that distinguishes it is that our Elohim demands that there be no images of him. Now this passage from Deuteronomy 4 was... so um, long, I didn't want to paste it in there. But I'll read it to you. No images of the Almighty. That's a very unique religion. I don't know if there's any others. I know the Cherokee Indians did not allow images. And we have evidence that they were proto-Hebrews or Israelites or something like that because their religion looks like Leviticus 23, I'm telling you. But uh, let's look at Deuteronomy 4, verse 15. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, for you saw no manner of similitude on the day that Yahweh spoke unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female. Verse 17, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flieth in the air, the likeness of any thing that creepeth on the ground, and the likeness of any fish that is on the waters beneath the earth. I can't believe somebody would worship a fish. Man. Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars and even all the host of heaven, should be driven to worship them and serve them, which Yahweh the Elohim hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. 
One of the primary distinctive elements of the most ancient true religion is no images of the Almighty. All, all I heard was, uh, was, there's different descriptions of it. They heard the voice of words, the thunder, the different sounds from that mountain. They didn't see any hands or any elbows. And You know, there's some people, they think, well, I'll just make a picture of his hand or a picture of his finger coming down, and a piece of artwork, a finger coming down into the picture pointing at a guy. He's not impressed with the smallness of your violation of this principle. The second, oldest, the, the second distinctive element about the oldest religion in the world is that it also reveals what is the second oldest religion in the world. Can we find any religion out there that tells you what the second oldest religion in the world is? The Bible does. It's the deification of the self. Putting yourself where Yahweh belongs. It comes out of the mouth of the serpent. Genesis 3, 4, and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for Elohim knoweth that in the day you eat thereof, of that fruit, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as Elohim, knowing good and evil. There it is, friends, the second oldest religion in the world, making yourself Elohim. And it's still with us today, isn't it? It's like a close second in terms of time. It didn't, didn't take much time for this alternate religion to erupt. Notice the key elements in the story of, of the fall. Cheap immortality. Yeah, just go eat that. You, you, you ain't going to die. Go ahead and eat it. You ain't, you ain't going to die. Instant insight. Yeah, just, just go ahead. Take a bite. You'll be wise. You, you, you know what Elohim knows. <clears throat> You'll become as Elohim, and you'll know good and evil. So very often, the unsaved will talk like, well, I know, I know right from wrong. I don't need religion. <laughs> now, there it is, making yourself Elohim. These four elements form the second most ancient religion in the world, yet they lay the foundation of the good news. So what I'm going to list are some things that are sort of like in rebuttal to that, from Yahweh's perspective. Number one, Yahweh is the boss, not you. He decides right from wrong, not us. Reconciliation between ourselves with our fallen nature and Yahweh is accomplished through the messianic office. We participate in the divine nature by receiving Yahshua and following him. I try to be very careful when I come up here. Receiving Yahshua and following him. That's how we enter the divine nature. Not by declaring we're already deity and uh, eating of the knowledge of good and evil. The good news is an ancient story. And it has some basic elements that always emerge. But it will always come down to Yahweh versus ourself. I'm going to read a passage that's... That's about 13 verses long. We're looking at John chapter 1. I try to be careful what I say. That terminology, to receive Yahshua. There were years where I I thought it was just a bunch of, uh, shall we say, Christian happy talk. But it is very biblical. Receiving Yahshua is very biblical. I'm going to read John chapter 1. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Elohim, and the Word was Elohim. 
The same was in beginning with Elohim. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from Yahweh whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Verse 9, by the way, that's the divine spark so many people talk about. Yahshua is the true light that lights every man that comes into the world. And when you speak to people who are unsaved or Gentile or far away, Yahshua's light is still in them, and they, they have an opportunity to respond to that. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. There's some crazy people out there that think that the Jews in Yahshua's time were not Jews. And that tells you right there, verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Okay, that's one of the reasons we don't entertain any freaky oddball theories about uh, about the Jews of Yahshua's time. But as many as received him, there's the verse, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of Yahweh, even to them that believe on his name. And that's where you get the language to receive Yahshua. But there's more to it. To, to, he gives us the power to participate in that divine nature, to become the sons of Yahweh, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of Yahweh. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his majesty. The majesty as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The contrast is obvious. Satan tells us to seek shortcuts, even suggesting that we're already divine. Some, some guy from India was running around the country in the 1960s saying, you know, Yahshua's religion's a lot like mine. You know, Yashua, well, he didn't call him Yahshua, but he, he said, he, he's teaching you've already, you're already divine. Well, you're not. Okay, you're a son of Yahweh, you're budding, you're growing, you've been begotten. But uh, it is wrong for you to, to, to think that, oh, I'm Elohim now. Listen, you're going to bump into people who believe that. They're going to believe you're the supreme being in some way. Contrary to Satan's message, Yahshua invites us to a life of self-denial and overcoming. And when I talk about these sins pertinent to men and women, it's because your destiny is to overcome like Yahshua did. We'll have more on the master later. For this second installment, the issues have points in common between the genders, but they are not exactly the same. Yet the remedy is identical for both genders. I never thought I'd be preaching to the men by preaching, preaching through the women. But uh, it, I've been sandbagged, and um, I have to roll with what I got. It's very biblical, will be very challenging. Okay, guy pride, issue number M2, M for males. This is number two, part two of the installment. Guy pride. We're going to talk about some of the symptoms of guy pride. Inability to apologize. I know that's a big surprise for many of you, isn't it? 
defensive in the face of a slight insult. Arguing and fighting over who's the best and the greatest. Let me tap the brake here. It's okay, men, to be competitive. It's okay. We, we can be competitive. You know, we'd like to... Uh, some boys uh, like to roughhouse. I enjoyed wrestling with my cousins when I was a youth. Um, we like to compete and do competitive things. You can harness that and you can control that. Um, we know when it gets out of hand. How about the unwillingness to do dirty jobs? Not all men, but some men think dirty jobs are beneath them. While they're unwilling to do dirty jobs, many of us have a willingness to make ridiculous commitments. Out of the whole list, that's probably my biggest weakness. That's probably the situation I'm in now. I don't, it may be something pertinent to engineers or those who are in the tech, tech fields. I don't know. How about you? Have you ever overcommitted? Oh, yeah, okay. I'm pointing to one of the brethren here who has a, a training and a profession similar to mine. But we, we, we pound our chest, yeah, we can do it. We'll make it happen. One of the great engineers in my industry, Bob Pease, he said that one of the greatest flaws we have in the engineering profession is that we make it look easy. We fail to let our supervisors know how very, very hard some of this stuff is. In fact, I'm going to push, push a little here. When things go wrong, I tend to blame myself. Do you ever experience that? Like, hey, how come I didn't make this deadline? You know, it doesn't. In my space, I'm dealing with a tremendous difficulty with the tools not working like they're supposed to, or the oh, the updates, downloads, upgrades, configuration variables. Oh my gosh, licensing issues, and I keep blaming myself. Well, this is going to stop here. I didn't mean to dwell on that, but I got to give you evidence of sincerity on my part. It looks like men like to make boastful commitments. I'll be there. We're going to make it happen. And then they get egg on their face because the unexpected happens. And I'm going to spend a little time talking about guy bling. Guy bling. Now, I don't see any evidence of that here, thank heavens. <clears throat> Let's talk about guy pride. The inability to apologize. You see I have a little man there off to the side uh, he's in the doghouse. He's he's having a hard time ginning up an apology. Now, I'm going to use that as a motif for the next several slides. So, at, at the very least, I know you're going to pay attention to the next few slides. One of the leading complaints about men among women is our inability to apologize. In fact, if we just burp, like with something that kind of sounds like an apology, the women tend to dance a jig. Oh, honey... Oh, I'm so glad to, hear, glad to hear that. We have a real hard time apologizing. And it takes practice to learn how to do that. There's always room for improvement. It's like a built-in thing. We have a hard time getting, getting that. It's like the souffle that won't rise. We can't quite get that apology out. So I'm going to coach you guys on words that have helped me, words that bridge between me and the persons to whom I owe an apology. So here's something I'd like you to practice. Either use these phrases coming up on the next slides, one by one, or develop your own, okay? Uh, yeah, there's another doghouse there. That guy, by the way, is crying. He's weeping in that uh, photograph. 
When Rush Limbaugh got married, Charlton Heston called him and said, listen, I should tell you the three most important words when you're married. I was wrong. That's the most important thing that a man should know. I was wrong. Well, evidently, Mr. Limbaugh didn't take the advice because, um, uh, well, I won't get into the details, but for mature men, they know those are the three most important words. Here's something that's not on the list. Uh, A beloved couple in England I know in the faith. Um, Thanks. I'd like that water, please. I like the way he did it. He, he, in the conversations, uh, he, he said something his wife didn't like, and she was right. It took him a few hours, and then in front of me, he said, you know, honey, he said, I was out of order. I was out of order. See, if the apology will come out of my mouth quicker if I have a way to phrase it. And even though I was out of order, it's not on the list. Here's another one. I am convicted that. And that, that gives evidence that you've been talking to Yahweh about your offense, men. Those are the contexts in which we give an apology. I just thought the doghouse one was a good one. This poor bloke in this image, he's, uh, he's spending the night there. So um, he did not tender an apology in a timely manner. Uh, here's another guy. Um, I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about what I said. I've been thinking about what I did. I've been thinking about what I failed to say. I've been thinking about what I failed to do. <clears throat> Here's another. Let's look at this loser here in the doghouse. Look at this guy. He has to eat there, too. Look at that. Well, um, I still make mistakes in traffic where I accidentally cut somebody off or I misinterpret the signs. And I want very much to create shalom even through the windshields. And one way I've learned to do that is to go like this. I work, I work at it. You know, this way they know I really regret it. You know, it's going to be hard to reach over and shake hands through the windshield. But there's a lot of scenarios where tendering an apology is appropriate. We have a hard time doing it. And you guys are going to have to gin up the courage to do it. Well, let's use that traffic example as a segue for the next one. To be defensive in the face of a slight insult. In Proverbs 19.11, it says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is an honor to pass over a transgression. And there are times when we're better off just letting things go. We're just just better off letting it go. Here's one. Uh, Here's an expression that, tends to diffuse situations. Now, I'm using, photo, I'm using images of traffic situations because uh, it seems a lot of guys get wound up over these traffic cases. Uh, but you can see here in this photo, there's two guys yelling at each other. But one way to diffuse a situation is to say, maybe you're right. My dad used that a lot when he was older. Yeah. By the way, here's another great apology line. <laughs> I'm going to start using this more. It's where you say, I think I passed up a great opportunity to keep my mouth shut. Okay? That's, that's another great way to apologize. I think we've all been there. But one way to diffuse a situation is to say, maybe you're right. Another one is to say, thanks, I needed that. Now, these are ways of of showing humility in the face of a a slight offense. 
Thanks, I needed that. We had one come up the other day. It's not on the list. This is one I use often to diffuse situations. There was a Brinks guy at the uh, grab-it-and-go place in my community, and I didn't know he was a Brinks guy. They dressed like the police. As I walked in, I talked to him like he was a cop. I said, hi, officer, good morning. Uh, and I said some other chit-chat. And when he stood up, I saw Brinks across his chest. I said, oh, I said, forgive me. I, I, I thought you were a police officer. He said, no, I'm with Brinks. I said, I'm, I said, I bet I'm not the first person to think you were a policeman. He says, no, a lot of people assume that, but they just don't think. You know, a lot of people, they, they, just, they just, just assume this, and they don't think. Three times he said, people just don't think. I thought, okay, I, 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 this must aggravate him. The, 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 the third time he said, some people just don't think. I said, you know, I plead guilty as charged. And, and he shut up after that. <laughs> he, he quit his whining. As soon as I said, I plead guilty as charged. But these are ways to diffuse this stuff. You know, it would have been very easy for me with the guy pride thing to say, come on, I didn't mean anything by it. You know, but um, he's right, you know. I was mistaken. And uh, here's another one. I'm afraid you're right. Of course, it's easy to say that if the guy looking back at you is um, armed, as you see in this photograph here. But that is a way of diffusing a situation, to say, hey, I'm afraid you're right. In Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people, he, he says, you know, one of the best ways to diffuse an argument is to step back and partner with your critic and say, yeah, let's look at the facts. Not take it personally, but put the facts impersonally on the table and re-review them. In fact, one of the best ways to make a decision is to marshal all the information you can that works to the detriment of what you want to believe or what, what your preferred outcome is. I want to take a moment here and welcome viewers from Texas. We got word from the control room. We got viewers from Texas, Arkansas, California, New York, Pennsylvania, North Dakota, and Missouri. We're so very glad to have you, and many other places. So glad to have you on board. But we have ways at our disposal, guys, to diffuse these situations and not to take them so personally. In fact, in a situation like that, we may be the only light they see all day long. Okay, this business of arguing and fighting over who is the best and the greatest. I'm going to take a, a verse from Luke 22, verse uh, 24. And it reports, and there was also strife among them. This is Yahshua's disciples. Strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest? I'd like you to guess in your mind. I'm not going to take a vocal poll here. But guess when this happened? Uh, I said we weren't going to do a vocal poll. <laughs> oh, I see. You wanted to be the first one with the... Uh, uh, yeah, it happened at the Last Supper, the Passover. And, you know, you have to put these evangels together. Luke reports the arguing. I think Mark does, too. John reports that Yahshua washed their feet. You put these stories together. And I did this one. Well, during one feast, uh, I had a project of synchronizing all the, the evangels from in the locus of the uh, Passion Week. And you get a very textured three-dimensional story. Yahshua, I, 
I don't know how he put up with it. That last night there, they're fighting, they're arguing, he's trying to get their attention, wash their feet, and, and this, this, this idiot's going to betray him. It, uh, it was a very hard night. But this was a recurring problem amongst the disciples. Who's going to be the greatest? So I plucked out three scriptures where Yahshua of Nazareth tells us how to handle this urge to be the greatest. Matthew 18.4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You notice the overlap with the previous subtopic. You have to be kind of humble to say, maybe you're right, or uh, thanks, I needed that, or I plead guilty as charged. You know, you have to swallow some pride to do that. Matthew 23.11, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Want to be great? Are you dealing with feelings of low self-esteem? I have no use for the word self-esteem. But are you like struggling with those kind of feelings inside? Then dedicate yourself to serving others. This is so easy. I mean, it's so easy. In fact, it takes very little money. I find that people need time more than anything from each other. Luke 22, verse 26 But you shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. See, the contrast, Satan is saying, go go eat that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. You'll be like Elohim, you know, right from wrong. You ain't going to die. Yahshua says, no, you learn to serve. That's where you find divinity. Another guy pride thing. This doesn't happen too often, but there's just enough guys out there to make it a problem. The unwillingness to do dirty jobs. You know, I'm going to have to include, I should have massaged this. I'm going to have to include, some guys will hold out for a salary that in their mind they think is justified, but in fact they're really not worth that much. So even though the notes don't say that explicitly, let's bundle that in. It was amazing after we had the uh, telecom crash. <coughs> right after the Y2K rollover, the telecom industry I was in crashed. It was amazing how many engineers were looking for work and they demanded the same high salaries they were getting when they were flying high. I tried to tell one guy, it's a new day now and it's not the same old thing. You've got to be content with your wages. But the willingness to do dirty jobs is a key to success and greatness. In the business world, the employee who takes on dirty jobs gets favor in the eyes of the boss. How many people, show of hands, how many people recognize that face in the view graph? Brother Javon, Sister Jennifer. That's Mike Rowe. He's um, He's become kind of a sensation on TV and Internet. He's the guy who's urging young Americans, get into the trades where you use your hands and make things and build things, practical trades. we got a flood of people coming out of college with degrees that don't really teach them anything, anything useful. They teach them good things, but don't teach them anything useful. And he's into uh, you know, becoming plumbers, electricians, and a lot of these are dirty jobs. I tell you, I'd rather... You know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather pay my bills with a down-to-earth job than, you know, be a high-paid engineer who, is, who ain't got a job. It doesn't, I'd just rather pay my bills. 
you know? And there's no shame. I'm going to tap the brake. Um, my mom told me an amazing story. When she was a little girl, this was during the Depression, she was walking down the street with her girlfriends as a little girl, and her daddy was a street sweeper. And she didn't know it was her dad. And when she got home, her father said, why didn't you say hello to me? Were you ashamed that I was a street sweeper? And my mom emphatically told him, no, I didn't know that was you, Dad. I would have certainly said hello. But the, the entire incident left a deep impression on her. And my mom has taught me that all work is good work if it's honest work. Someday you may see me just throw in the sponge and I'll be greeting you at Walmart. Okay, right now I'm flying high, you know. But uh, all work is good work if it's honest work. Indeed, I'm telling you, the commercial world has so much corruption. The bigger the dollars, the bigger the risks of sinning. When I was young at Motorola, I read a book about management and career management, you know, a worldly book. And one of the strategies was to absorb all the work you can that nobody else was doing. And I was just a young engineer, and I took on all these dirty jobs. It was so funny. It, and m most of these tasks were not glamorous. The cabling, uh, the mechanics of the packaging, a lot of dirty jobs. Well, it got to the point where my phone was always ringing. The factory was always calling, saying, you know, they'd call somebody else, and they say, oh, B Mike Bannock is taking care of that. And pretty soon I was like running the whole show. It was very funny how that worked. And when it was layoff time, they fought over me. And they'll fight over you too. Let's talk about dirty jobs. John chapter 13, verse 12 to 17. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye that what I have done to you? You call me teacher and master, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his master. Neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. He's saying, look, I'm the boss, and I'm washing your feet, so you're going to have to do it too. Now, we know spiritually he's talking about more than a bucket of water on Passover night. There's a lot of dirty jobs to be done when we reach our hand out to help one another. There's dirty jobs to be done here. Oh yeah, there's dirty jobs to be done here. And I'm, I've always delighted in how hard we work to clean up the feast site when we used other people's feast sites. It's like we're all trained and ready to go now that we have our own place. But we must be willing to do dirty jobs, men. It's never beneath us. Okay, this business of willingness to make ridiculous commitments. I'm going to describe to you from Proverbs 6, verse 2 to 6, something that's very embarrassing. Thou, thou art steered with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. It is so hard to go to somebody and say, I cannot make this commitment that I made. It is devastating to us guys to do that. 
So instead of giving into the guy pride thing of making ridiculous commitments, we're better off saying no. I, no, I can't do it that fast. Or you can't have everything you want by that deadline. <clears throat> and it's so embarrassing to go, I don't know about you guys, but I hate that when I let people down. Funny thing about the commercial world, I don't know what, uh, see the closest we have here, we have two engineers here, and one's out of, out of, the, out of town right now, but my friend brother Randy has an engineering background. But what I find, and uh, I would enjoy it if you nodded your head if you see this too, Randy, but they'll say, when can you have this done? And I'll say, hmm, I think it's a five-month job. Oh, okay, they say, is there anything we can do to speed that up? I'll say, I've already taken that into account. <laughs> I've already, I'm already thinking, stay late, come in early, work on Sunday. Five months is not good enough. Then the killer comes. The customer needs it in three and a half months. Now, here's the, here's the dilemma. Uh, if I tell them the truth, they don't want to hear that. What they'd rather I do is lie and then suffer the delays that I know are going to happen. Just wonder if anybody else has seen that, where they don't want you to give them a real schedule. They want an accelerated schedule, and they'll live with delays later. Any evidence of that? Okay, I don't want to get you in trouble. I see you're coming. <laughs> but but uh, I remember I was at one meeting years ago back east. They said, well... We know we can't miss his deadline. Why don't we just lie and give him the, the, the targets he wants and then just deliver when we can? Um, he who hastens with his feet sins. But what, what I'm going through now, it's nobody's fault but my own, but uh, what I'm going through now, I want to be very careful. Oh, here, at the very end, whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. It's like Ralph Cramden, oh, my big mouth. You know, you've got to be real careful what you say, guys, because it's so often out of pride, we just go shooting our mouths off. Oh, just a few notes on Guy Bling. Now, you see that leather jacket that guy is wearing. I believe there's an occasion where that might be appropriate. All right? It might be a get-together of old friends. Maybe they are members of a, motor, a peaceful motorcycle gang. It might be a special occasion. But, you know, there's people who dress like that every day. There's people who dress like that all the time. All right? Tattoo on his throat. Look at that. Um, here's another guy specialized in green. I'm talking about more than just accessories. All right? There's things we need to get our work done. I know the handheld devices are becoming an essential part of everyday life, and I understand that. This joker here in this picture, here's a guy named Reverend Ike. He is a, a forerunner to Joel Osteen. Um, he's, usually he has a ring on every finger. Now, there he is, dressed to the nines, and he's got a Rolls Royce behind him that's a, a unique aqua color. One of the prosperity guys. Okay. So we always dress super fine. <laughs> like Liberace, okay? All right. Here's another example of male bling. The guy's got his hair dewed up, so I there looks like a couple of corn dogs on his head. <laughs> and you have to look, he he's got uh, piercing his ears and his mouth. 
Here's what I'm indicting. Is clothes or accessories or jewelry worn to draw attention to yourself? There's a lot of things I cannot cover today. But the scriptures speak against women dressing that way. And come on, guys. If women aren't supposed to do that, what makes you think you're supposed to do that? So that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the spiritual principle I only wish to cover now is we shouldn't be dressing in a way that draws attention to ourselves. I have things in my closet I will not wear here on services because there's going to be too much talk about, about it. Okay. Okay, boasting. It's related to rash commitments. Inflation on the resume, putting on your resume things that you really don't know how to do. Trash talking, tall tales of fictitious accomplishments. And talking in the future perfect tense. Note that, future perfect, like the future is perfect. James 4, verse 13 to 15. Go to you now, you that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue their year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say if the sovereign will, we shall live and do this or that. I've certainly had a lot of my plans pushed off, you know, and we really should be careful about our, our boasting. These are some of the prominent system, symptoms of the guy pride thing. Inability to apologize, defensiveness in the face of a slight insult, arguing, fighting over who is the best and the greatest, Unwillingness to do dirty jobs, but willingness to make ridiculous commitments. And then the guy bling thing. We're going to transition shortly to the ladies. We're going to talk about them. Um, I just thought that was a quaint picture. Okay, that's all. Okay, weakness number F2. F for the females, two means this is part two. Note that I call this a weakness and not a sin. But I include it because weakness can, this particular weakness can lead to a sin. I was thinking before uh, I came up here how much my heart is absolutely flooded with love for the sisters here. Um, I just can't imagine my walk without all of you. Whereas the guys can think too much of themselves, often leading to sin and strange behavior. Men have pride to propel them to sin and behave in strange ways. The ladies seemingly struggle with the same issue in an inverted kind of way. In this case, pride works through lack of confidence. And this was sort of like a universal thing I found in my research, is that so many ladies, probably all of you, deal with some kind of innate lack of confidence. It may be traceable to the garden because the scriptures say the woman was deceived. It may be traceable to the Garden of Eden experience. And I have to be careful because I cannot cover the entire matter of boys and girls and male psychology, female psychology. But there's definitely something there where the women are trying real hard to overcome some perceived lack in the self. In fact, you girls are doing pretty good. How many times, men, have we seen women wear too much makeup? Come, wait, wait, you better not put your hand up. I know some of you are married. Okay. 
So many times. Well, I'll just tell you what guys are saying off to the side, ladies. are saying, they don't need all that makeup, you know. I love you the way you are. I want to see the real you. you know? Now, maybe some of you have husbands who demand makeup. Okay, that, that's a different story. But there still seems to be an element of that. Here's some of the, I'm just kind of creating broad context. I'm unattractive. Let me cover it up. Okay? And um, it would be painful for me to give you some of the firsthand experiences I've seen with this. Like among my sisters. I'm unattractive. Let me cover it up. My gosh, I have the most beautiful sisters in the world. But for some reason, they, they had a hard time believing me. That other woman is getting more attention than me. I hate her. Well, it turns out things like that do happen. If a woman gets more attention than another, the one who feels neglected will have feelings of resentment. So, shall I go on, friends? Well, I'll try to go easy on you. Here's one. My office rival has better clothes than me. I will starve to catch up with her. I don't, I don't understand these closets full of clothes. I don't. I don't. There's something in there that it doesn't seem right. A closet full of clothes, and you say, I have nothing to wear. And in fact, you've got plenty to wear. In fact, my, my insurance agent in town, she's got all these motivational things on the wall in her office. And it would be a sermon in itself. But one of the things on her wall says, someone on this earth is happy with less than what you have. When you say you don't have anything to wear for the big event, what I think what you're saying is you don't have anything new. That's what I think. We're going to address these issues with some high-voltage spiritual principles. I want you to count it as a good thing. My interpretation of these phenomena I see is that a a woman inside is saying, I feel low, therefore I will do goofy things to compensate for that. And there's got to be a better way. Who knows, maybe you've come to the meeting today hoping for answers. Let's have a word on makeup. I'm not going to be giving a sermon on makeup. In fact, this particular subtopic will have a surprising uh, conclusion. But you see all those natural things there in that picture when you buy makeup, they want you to think that's what it is. Vegetarian stuff, plants, you know, natural stuff. But actually, it's more dangerous stuff. It would be very easy for me to pile on about the makeup issue. I'm willing today to crack a few jokes about it, raise a flag on something in particular. But that whole issue of makeup, it's getting into the realm of establishing doctrine. And I don't know if I want to do that. That's really up to the elders. Where we have warnings in the scripture about the women putting, uh, painting their faces. Remember Yahshua talked about fasting? He says, wash your face and anoint your head. That's the order in which it is. Wash your face and anoint your head. Now, if the anointing is for the fasting, well, everybody's going to see that. And he's telling you to wash your face and anoint your head so people don't know you're fasting. So I conclude that the anointing he's talking about is a preparation of the, of the face for public interaction. It must have been some kind of cultural thing where they put oil on their head. Maybe they slicked their hair down, you know, like 
<laughs> slick their hair down, right? Um, so they're presentable. Uh, so there may be more to this, but there is one thing I can bring up. See, I was in, in very very early drafts of this material. I found quite a bit of stuff on how makeup has objectionable content. How would you feel if you learned that your lipstick had pig fat in it? How would, how would that make you feel? How about if that lipstick had that ground-up red bug <coughs> that we won't allow in our drinks and our food? It would be easy to pile on at that. But it turns out the men's stuff has the same problem. We have colognes and creams and hair preparations of our own. Very exact same problem. But you notice how the lack of confidence will, will induce you to take risks. Now, right now, my cologne is all vegetarian. I get it at the health food store. All right, and likewise, these other cosmetics that men will use. It's all that, that clean stuff. But I had to work to find it. And I think that's kind of funny is that some guys will just, eh, I'll just splash on anything. Um, I, I don't want to say what's in these, these products. But I have a basis for urging the sisters to go back and recalibrate. Uh, find out if that makeup you're taking is uh, got objectionable materials. It's a very reasonable thing to ask. Okay? <coughs> One of the earliest tips decades ago, I read that there was a concentration camp in the war. They had a lot of women there, so the Allies brought in female interrogators. They said, what do you want right away? Whatever you want, we'll get it for you. And those prison inmates, those women, the first thing out of their mouth was makeup. Okay. So evidently the ladies are dealing with something in here that needs a solution, a Yahweh solution. So I've got to give you a short course on Messianic confidence for the sisters. Psst, men, this is for you too. Boldness comes from a small number of sources. Here's the main ones that jumped out at me. Maybe there's more. Boldness, confidence. Number one, ignorance. Well, number one, ignorance of the facts. I'm just mentioning that to be complete. You ever seen somebody who's bold and got a lot of confidence and they know nothing? <laughs> they they ain't got nothing. Remember at AT and T, I had got a job in a, what they call the architecture group, and it was just. It was supposed to be a cushy job where all I have to do is draw block diagrams. I took that job so I could spend more time looking after my mom. And, uh, but to qualify for that job took about 15 years of experience. Well, there was a guard at the front door who was taking some little electrician course in town. He says, I know how to do that stuff. And I says, no, I don't think... You, you could handle this. He says, no, I took the course. I, I, I can handle that. Yeah, I can handle that. And you know the confidence in his eyes. He almost had me convinced. I thought, wait, I, it took me 15 years to get to this place. And he's just taking some kind of wiring course at a local college, you know, community college. Every time he talked to me, his energies were like so convincing. But man, this guy could really bluff his way through a, an interview. Well, you don't want that. We can get confidence by encouragement from others or enabling. One sister I interviewed recently told me about how when her husband encourages her, she feels like she can do anything. 
How about superior preparation? We'll talk about that in a bit. But the one we really want to zoom in on is confidence that comes from righteousness. And we're going to talk about a particular kind of righteousness, a universal kind of righteousness. And I've decided to use the built-in needs of the sisters as a spiritual prompting for something we all need. So, ignorance of the facts. Boldness that comes from ignorance of the facts. Well, look, friends, we want controlled outcomes. This is a dangerous and ridiculous basis for having boldness. So let's just skip this. And let's just say we don't want to be like that. Encouragement from others, enabling. In order for this to work, the exhorter must have standing in your eyes. Like if I encourage you, but you know I don't know anything about where you're at, you'll think, why is he talking like that to me? Like if that, that guard at the, at the entrance where I worked, if he looked at my drawings and says, man, you're doing a good job, he wouldn't know because he doesn't have the experience. In the household of faith, though, as we're encouraging each other, it's good that we esteem the other better than ourselves so that when I give you a word of encouragement, you'll value that. When you give me a word of encouragement, I'll, I'll value that. The brain chemically needs to hear words of encouragement. Just so happens the women need that more than we do, guys. Proverbs has a ton of verses about uh, encouragement. 1225, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stupid, a good word maketh it glad. 1523, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. That was 2511. In 1218, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. I used to be like that. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. 15.4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but the perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Men, those of you who have influence with ladies in your lives, they need to hear those golden words of encouragement. It's not because they're bad or a character flaw. They need to hear that just like you guys need other things. What I have found is that if women aren't getting encouraged enough, you know, they, they start to deal with feelings that, well, they won't be at their best. I don't know how else to say it. They won't be at their best. I'm going to give you an example of encouragement uh, from Luke. This one means so much to me. Luke 22, verse 31 to 32. And the master said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith not fail, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Please look with me at the second line in the slide. Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. The you in the Greek is plural. You can't take a single person and sift them as wheat, but you can take a group of men and sift them as wheat. Since Satan has desired to have you, the bunch of you blokes, the whole, the whole gang, he wants to have you. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith not fail. And when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. 
So Yahshua was telling Peter, Simon Peter in advance, the whole lot of you are going to be tried. You, Peter, are going to have to encourage them. When I give you compliments and words of encouragement, I always have a factual basis for it. All right? And of course, I chose that picture there with the rain coming down on that happy lady. Because that's what it feels like. We've had some real hot weather lately, haven't we? We know how wonderful it is to feel that cool rain come down after a long, dry, hot period. Words of encouragement come down like a sweet golden rain on a dry soul. And it's absolutely vital that the ladies encourage one another. I know girls sometimes, uh, I've seen this happen where I'm going all the way back to like my kid sisters, you know. Sometimes I wonder if my kid sisters were fighting for my approval. I don't know. But girls, you've got to be careful and encourage one another. You need each other more than you know. As good as all this sounds, though, it still depends on other people. So even though this is an important principle, and those of us who have positions of standing in the lives of, of other women, what do we do for women who don't have a husband? What do we do for, for women who are widows, or girls who are not yet married? Maybe we have some women who are in marriages that are not very supportive. What about that? What's the answer for them? Let's press on. Boldness comes from superior preparation. I'm going to cover this because I want everybody to benefit from superior preparation. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. When you're ready, and you're ready. Remember, there was a, when I was working up north, there was a counterpart in the meetings. And she was actually my adversary because she, um, She always disagreed with me. That's <laughs> funny. She always disagreed with me. But I was very impressed with how ready she was when she came to the meetings. So impressed. And I told her several times, I said, you know, when you come to the meeting, you're ready to go. I really appreciate that. I wanted to show you guys something. I often told the story. This is the first time many of you will see what I've talked about in private conversations. But um, I had a situation where I needed to get veterans benefits from my mom as a widow because my stepfather was a veteran. And uh, we went through two cycles of correspondence. I said, this, this has got to end. This, this letter, wait, letter, wait. We need that money now. Mom's health care expenses were getting kind of serious. So I started to go to the veteran's office, and I got one more letter that asked more questions. Ask about this, ask about that. So I went back to the veteran's office. It took me a day to put this together. Affidavits, statements, evidence. It's like one of the things they wondered if my mom was really married to this guy. All kinds of questions, issues, family history. I said, this will answer all your questions. There you go. This is, this is it. This is the original. It took me a day to put all this stuff together, to answer all these questions from the Veterans Administration. Well, that lady... She turned plaid when she saw all this. She was expecting me to just drop off a letter, and I come in with all this. But this is an example of high-octane preparation. That lady was so nice to me. She was always good to me. I sought her out when I would go there. 
And she took this thing from my hand. She says, why don't you wait right here? Because typically these approvals take like six months. She says, just wait right here. I'll, I'll, I'd like to have this. And she went up to, to the upstairs of the building. And about 45 minutes later, she come down. She says, okay, she says, you've been approved. And, and so there's no way you can argue with all this, you know. Well, this is an example where if you go in with high-octane preparation, they can't, nobody can push back. And anybody can do it. That, that lady in the business meetings when I worked up north, even though she was often my adversary, I was really impressed with we had We had high-power uh, teleconferences with Asia at like 6 and 7 in the morning. And she was ready to go. And that's how it's supposed to be. Um, so even though I'm kind of directing this toward the sisters, uh, all of us can benefit from the power of adequate preparation. Proverbs 22, 29, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before obscure men. As this, even though this sounds good, it still leaves out one missing ingredient. Boldness that comes from righteousness. And this is the climactic material of my presentation. Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's the righteousness you want. That's the, the boldness you want. Girls, this can be yours too. I'm going to lay out for you a road map. I, I almost wish I was a girl. This looks so good. <laughs> Confidence comes from knowing that what I am doing is approved by, before heaven. Is it, if you know that what you're doing is right, you will, nothing will stop you. So I'm going to push it. First of all, we use the word confidence in order to avoid the dreaded term self-esteem and self-love. The more you cling to that terminology, the worse the outcomes. Now, I was running around asking people trick questions the last couple of months or so. I'd say, how can you teach self-confidence without putting the self in the middle? And I was waiting for somebody to push back. I finally found one guy. He said, your mistake is putting that word self in there. I want to thank my dear sister, Michelle Love. She, she, um, she has rejected the term self-esteem. She says Yahweh esteem. Now that's, that's where it ought to be. Self-love. I, for years, I felt like I was the only person in the world who understood this. There's nothing about self-love in the Bible. And I've asked people, where does the Bible teach self-love? They say, well... Uh, you got to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. <coughs> it's funny because in the Bible, self-love is the one thing you can be sure of. I felt all alone for years until finally up on, on Facebook recently, somebody posted a woman explaining that there is no such thing as self-love in the Bible. The Bible assumes you're already loving yourself. In fact, if you're down on yourself, it's because you, 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 know, you do love yourself and you do want to do better. We need the kind of confidence found in the scriptures. Let's tap the brake here again. Look, some of you gals have been blessed. You're going to say, oh, Brother Mike, I got a great husband. He keeps me encouraged. Or you're going to say, my daddy gave me lots of hugs and kisses when I grew up. I, I grew up with confidence. Okay. I'm talking about the confidence that comes from Yahweh and Yahshua living inside of you. What a high calling. 
Because I need an answer for everybody. There are women who've grown up without a daddy in the home. There are women who are in marriages that are difficult. I've got to have an answer for them. Maybe you think, well, I don't need all this. Good, now you're where Job was at. Job had a lot of confidence in where he was at. That's why he was devastated when his world fell apart. Wherever you are, even if you've been very blessed with confidence-building experiences, you still have to embrace the righteousness of Elohim and the boldness that comes with it. So I'm pushing it. Psalm 71, verse 16. This was a very... I memorized this verse many years ago, but I didn't know how hard it would be to embrace it. Psalm 71, 16. I will go in the strength of the sovereign. Yahweh, I will make mention of your righteousness, even of thine only. Last year, two years ago, I quoted a famous preacher from the 20th century, and one of the viewers contacted the ministry and complained about it. Because that minister had like a bad reputation for some things. I thought, you know, I'm going to have to work real hard from now on to make sure that what I teach and explain comes from the book. It's very tempting to quote experts and scholars and PhDs. It's all, that's, okay. But can I get it from the book? Because where I fall short, his words will fill in. I'll make mention of your righteousness, even of thine only. What is the righteousness of Elohim? Hmm. I'm going to make a list of things I observed in some of the great women in the New Covenant writings. What did Yahshua say or do to cultivate such astonishing faith in the earliest sisters? They had confidence, they had boldness, they had faith, they had faithfulness. By the way, in Hebrew, that's the same word. Faith and faithfulness is the same word in Hebrew. Likewise in the Greek. And they had inward beauty. They had inward beauty. Let's look at some case studies. The women supported Yahshua. Um, in the interest of time, I'm not going to read all that, but it's in Luke 8.13. But there are certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Miriam called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. And Joanna, the wife of Chuzah, Herod's servant, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him out of their substance. What did Yahshua say or do to get them to place their resources at his disposal? Here's another case study. The disciples flee, but the women follow. In Mark 14, 49 to 50, it, it reveals that when Yahshua was arrested, the disciples fled, and they forsook him. But the women tagged along. Except for John, the women were right there. Where did they get that courage from? The men were running. Does that, does that sound like a guy thing? There's another case study, Mary of Magdala, the anointing before Yahshua's execution. She just waltzed in there with this jar of oil and anointed him. Where did she get that boldness? Where did that come from? And you've got to put the stories together. It's in Matthew, the one I have on the board is Matthew 26, 6 to 13. And you have to put the stories together again. Uh, and Matthew, and I think Mark, you've... When the disciples started arguing, like, why are you wasting all this, this oil? We could have sold it and gave it to the poor. And in John, you find out it was Judas who started the argument. Where did Mary get that bold? And she kept on doing it. Now, Yahshua, you know, I have to paraphrase, he essentially said, she's mine, leave her alone. 
That's essentially what he said. But you can look at the details if you want. What did they know? What did they experience? What did they hear? How did these women go to such... They had more boldness before the outpouring of the Spirit than the, than the disciples did. Here's other cases. The women went right to the burial site, regardless of the Roman soldiers. Their only question was, who's going to roll that stone away? Their attitude was, well, you know, we'll figure that out. Yahshua rewarded Mary with the first visitation. The first person to see him was a woman. Then in Matthew 15, 21 to 28, the Canaanite woman with the sick daughter, her story is key. She says, even the dogs get the crumbs off the table. She approached him with such intensity, like a kind of ferocity. The Canaanite woman pleading for her daughter is an exact spiritual rerun of Jacob's wrestling with the angel. In Genesis 32, 26, and he said, Jacob says, let me go for the day breaks. Oh no, I'm sorry. The angel said, let me go for the day breaks. And Jacob says, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. That's exactly what the Canaanite woman did. No, I'm not letting go. You've got to bless me. That's why Jacob was loved and Esau was hated. Esau sold it for a bowl of soup. Jacob wouldn't let go. You're going to bless me. I hardly feel qualified for this, but I have to turn you sisters loose. I want you girls to go find out what that is. What did those girls know? Do you want the righteousness of Elohim? Do you want the inward beauty of Yahshua and Yahweh living inside you? So I'm almost done. In John 15, 1 through 11, the, uh, I remember hearing this when we sat here. This is my first Passover this year with the assembly at large. I've been in the faith for so long, this first time, and I remember us reading John 15. This is Yahshua encouraging the disciples before he's arrested. I'm the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that he beareth fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Now the entire business of John 15, 1 through 11, is us abiding in him. That thing, John 15, 3, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. We're certain that John wrote in Hebrew, but the translator did a good job. For the word clean, he used the word katharos. In Greek philosophy, that's an emotional experience that cleanses the soul. And the translator took the Hebrew word and said, this is what Yahshua is talking about, a therapeutic cleansing of your insides by the word which he has spoken. Your, your need for confidence, sisters, is a spiritual prompting to abide in him. I'd like all my sisters here to go find out what that is, to, to abide in him. Now, the best I can do is that abiding in him for me means to abide in his people, go to services, mingle with the fellowship, abide in Yahshua's teachings. They're very unique. And the teachings of his handpicked ambassadors. That would be the apostles and their letters. Lest there be any doubt about this, I'm going to bring to remembrance the words of John Wesley. 
He said, Yahshua will point you to the law, and the law will point you to Yahshua. Don't think that we're going into some righteousness outside the commandments here. Uh, we're really getting close to the end here. On your spiritual walk, I have to warn you about some things. I'm expecting my sisters, every one of you here, to take up the call to be soldiers in his kingdom, to go find out what that righteousness and intimacy with Yahweh and Yahshua was for those amazing women. The things I've given you from the scriptures have the answers, but I can't live it out for you. But don't let your findings go to your head. I've been very hesitant to actually get into this because I've known women over the years who claim they know Yahshua, but the fruits are not there. And it usually has something to do with rebelling uh, or um, just wacky behavior, but they claim they know him. But what happens is they think they know him and they do something goofy and they think, well, he, he put this on my heart. So I'd like to give you the ultimate barometer of your spiritual growth. This is for everybody. Moses and Yahshua were closer to Yahweh than anybody. They had two things in common that jump right off the page. They both had humility and they both had a love for sinners. To gauge your spiritual walk, I guarantee you're going to walk in greater confidence, the eternal, lasting confidence you need. Your barometer for that will be your humility and your love for sinners. Please don't think of forming cliques. Don't start forming cliques, please. In summary, pride works in different ways in men and women. The ultimate solution, the only solution, is having Yahshua and the Father abide in you fully. And it turns out that's the same answer for both men and women. That concludes my remarks, Brother Jose. Thanks for following, guys. You've been so generous.